Well, happy Sabbath to everybody out there. Wishing all of you a very blessed Sabbath and a good morning. Hope you all had a wonderful Sabbath already so far. And I just want to ask for all of you to please leave your praises below in the comment section. Would love to hear from all of you. And just a quick reminder, this is going to be our last divine service message that we'll be presenting online. We do have other things that we're going to be working on. Please do pray for us. But in regards to our messages online, I want to encourage everybody to start going back to the local churches, even Malaysia. Starting May 1, everything is pretty much going back to normal. We don't even have to wear masks outside anymore, except maybe in enclosed spaces. So God is good. God is good. We are definitely past the pandemic time. And as we're recovering from that and going back to normality, I hope that your support for your local church, wherever you are, will also not just go back to normal, but burn brighter as well and be a blessing to everybody around us. We are going to be focusing our efforts on other recordings, other focuses. So please do keep our ministry and our churches here in prayer as well, as we still want to be a blessing to everybody. For those that don't know, we do have a website, my website at adventproductions.com. You'll find there resources in regards to doctrinal studies. And it's not just about learning more, but empowering the teacher. And that's what we want to do. We have resources there for care group studies as well. I believe now we have five series, the parables of Jesus, the encounters of Jesus. We have the Mount of Blessing. We have a study on Hebrews 11. And right now we are, are in the middle of a series called the Wilderness Wanderings as well. And so that is all organized there on the website. It's just a resource website. And of course, you will find scripture songs there with the sermons and also on the YouTube channel as well. So thanks for joining all of us, friends, and supporting us thus far. Please do keep us in prayer as we continue to produce different resources to continue to be a blessing as well. Anyways, this is our last uh, sermon together, our last study here for the Divine Service Time, and we are going to finish our series on the kings. We are looking at the last faithful king of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, and that is King Josiah. And so before we get into that, I just want to invite all of you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you so much that we have this privilege and opportunity to come and study your word again. Lord, we pray for a blessing. Lord, we're asking that you would please be with us, guide us with your Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, just to get a brief background about King Josiah. His grandfather was Manasseh, and Manasseh was a very wicked king. Let's start by looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 1 to 3. The Bible says Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down, and he reared up altars for Balaam, and made groves, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served them. 
So Manasseh was also a young king when he came to the throne at a tender age of 12 years old. But he was a wicked king. He single-handedly reversed everything that Hezekiah, his father, had done in bringing revival and reformation to the land of Israel, especially Judah. And then we continue to read in verse 6, And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times, and used enchantments, and used witchcraft, and dealt with a familiar spirit, and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Just absolutely wicked was his grandfather, King Manasseh. He even brought in all the enchanters, the wizards, all the things that were commanded of the children of Israel to to kill and destroy and get out of the land and to make sure that these abominations did not come in. He brought them back in. And then we continue reading in in 2 Kings 21 and verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, another. Beside his sin wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so very, very clearly we read about this Manasseh, very wicked. How could such a wicked king come from such a very faithful father, King Hezekiah? We have no idea. But as parents, we got to continue to be vigilant. We got to continue to be watchful. We got to do our very best to raise up our children in the fear of the Lord, right? But how about his father? His father, so uh, we're talking about Josiah's father here. So Manasseh and then his son. Who was it that came to the throne after that? Second Chronicles 33, 21 to 24. Ammon was two and twenty years old when he began to reign and reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father. Who was this? Ammon. For Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh his father had made and served them, and humbled not himself before the Lord as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more, And his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. Actually, there is not much said of Ammon, the son of Manasseh, except that he was also a very wicked king. And at the end of it, his servants conspired against him and killed him. And so this is the reason why Josiah would come to the throne at such a young age. Manasseh, he was 12 years old when he became king. Ammon, he was 22. You know, it's very interesting. A lot of these kings were very young. And what we're going to see in Josiah, he is also a young king as well. Let's go now to 2 Chronicles 34, verses 1 to 2. He was the youngest of them all. Look at this. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. So Josiah, even younger, eight years old, 
when he began to reign. And yet the Bible tells us he was a good king. He was a faithful king. And, you know, we've just been focusing on the good kings in this series, as you, as you realize, not the young kings, but he was faithful. He didn't go to the left nor the right. He did not swerve from his integrity, is what the Bible says. He remained true to the needle as the north it is to the the needle to the north pole right he was true to god to the very end good king and even though he came at the age of eight he was still a man or young boy of integrity which tells us he must have had some good counselors it's important, friends, to have these sort of counselors if we want to remain steadfast in the right path, especially in our faith towards God. But let's keep reading about Josiah. Look at this, 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. I want you to see here, there are two years that are mentioned in the eighth year of his reign and the twelfth year. And so the eighth year of his reign, he began to seek God. What, what age was he at that time? Well, if he came to the throne at the age of eight, he must have been 16 years old. Only 16. Can you believe that? I look at some of the 16-year-olds in our churches and I think, wow, really? Josiah was 16 years old when he began to seek God. He'd been king for eight years already, but he was seeking God. That's all he was doing. And in the 12th year, at the age of 20, the Bible tells us that he began to purge Judah from idolatry. Reformation began to take place. Revival had its deep roots at the age of 16 throughout the whole kingdom as he began to seek God. And for four years, from the age of 16 to the age of 20, all he was simply doing was seeking God. He wasn't doing anything. God was strengthening him. God was beginning to help him to grow. God was guiding him. He was giving him a vision for what to do as king. And you know, sometimes, friends, we think, wow, six-month Bible school, too long. i got to get out there and do something. No, friends, for four years, Josiah was just simply seeking God just for four years. And then at the age of 20, he began to work. And you know, there's a balance in all of this. You know, if all we do is just seek God and do nothing, sooner or later, we will stop. Why? Because the seeking God, the revival must be something that leads on to reformation. There must be action. We can't just be scholars for all our lives. We must know how to apply the Word of God into the duties of everyday life that He wants us to do. Meaning, our walk with God, the scriptures that we read every morning, the time that we spend in prayer with God, it must translate into something practical into your life. God must be real. He can't just be a theory. And so for four years, he was seeking God. But then after that, he began to work. Josiah began to purge Jerusalem from all the idolatry that had been taking place. And he kept pushing forward. Let's keep reading. Verses 4 to 7. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence. And the images that were on high, that were on high above them, 
he cut down, and the groves, and the carved images, and the molten images, he brake in pieces, and made dust of them, and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. He burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars, that's the the, the wicked priests, the ones that were serving the, the, uh, the idols. And he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And look at this. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali, with their mattocks round about. And, he had, and when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. So he started, Josiah started the Reformation where he was in his kingdom, right there where he lived as king in Jerusalem. He cut down all the altars, he killed the, 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 the priests that were sacrificing unto Baal and all the idols. But not just that, look at this. He didn't do it just in his kingdom, he did it in the kingdom of Israel as well. He went all the way to where? Manasseh, Naphtali, even Simeon and Ephraim. It spread beyond the borders of Judah the two tribes that he was king over, it spread to the other tribes surrounding. And friends, there's an important lesson that we have to learn from this. Reformation must start in your home. It must start with yourself. How do we lay that foundation? We've got to come to seek God first. Don't just come back and start changing everything. Make sure that your foundation is found in Christ and His Word alone. You know, sometimes we go off to a conference and we come back and we, we start making all these changes. No, friends, the thing that we have to do is make sure that we deep rooted in the Word of God. Make sure we build that foundation. And then, as we are convicted, as we're converted, as God is guiding us, then we will begin to work. Then the fruits of reformation and change will begin to take hold of our lives and especially the lives of those around us. You know, sometimes we have a burden for our families. Sometimes we have a burden for our neighbors or our friends, not realizing that God has a burden for us first. He wants to see us change. And if we are truly revived, if we are truly reformed, it will overflow into all the people around us. It cannot be hidden. It cannot be held back. God will do the work in us and then through us. You see that? And you know, friends, all this was long prophesied before it would ever happen. Look at this. Let me show you a text in 1 Kings 13 verse 2. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. And upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And so now we see this prophecy coming to pass. They had to wait decades, decades, and dare I say centuries, just for this to take place. But friends, God's word always comes to pass. It knows no delay. Same with the second coming. Same with the last day events. They're coming, friends. But the only way that we can be ready for it is if we are seeking God with all our hearts. If we are putting our hearts into understanding what God's Word is talking about, making it our foundation, then and only then, not only can we be ready, but that God can work through us. You see, friends, revival is only half the battle. It is only half 
of our experience. It's important to be revived, but it's just as important to make sure that our lives are changed in corresponding with the truth that we are learning as much as God is guiding each and every one of us. So it's important. We must have revival, but we must have reformation together as well. These two must blend in its work. But what must happen first? Revival. Otherwise, reformation, why are we doing it if we don't understand the reason why we're doing it? Is it because we just aspire to be like a certain person but not understanding why? Then it becomes just a form. It just becomes a tradition, a ceremony. It has no meaning to it. Friends, reformation must always be based upon revival. But revival without reformation is not true revival because if you are brought back to life, then you begin to live a different way as well. Do you see that? What else did King Josiah do? Let's read, continue reading in 2 Chronicles 34. Bit of a lengthy passage, five verses. Now in the 18th year of his reign, this is verse 8. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan the son of Azaliah, and Messiah the governor of the city, and Joah the son of Jehoahaz the recorder, to repair what? The house of the Lord is God. And when they came to Hilkiah the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and of all the remnants of Israel and of all Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. And they put it in the hand of the workmen that had oversight of the house of the Lord. And they gave it to the workmen and wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house. Even to the artificers and builders gave they it to buy hewn stone and timber for couplings, and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully, and the overseers of them were Johath and Obadiah, the Levites of the sons of Merari, and Zechariah and Meshulam, of the sons of the Kohathites to set it forward, and other of the Levites, all that could skill of the instruments of music. Also they were over the bearers of burdens, and were overseers of all that wrought the work in any manner of service, and of the Levites there were scribes and officers and porters. Wow, I'm sorry, there's a lot of verses here, but what is it talking about? It is the rebuilding of the temple. Josiah the king, he now focused on rebuilding the temple after he cleansed the nation from idolatry, after he got rid of all those idolatrous priests. Then he went about to set up the priesthood again. He went to set up true worship, the worship of God again. Friends, it's important when we remove something bad, we need to fill it with something good. When we take something bad out of a person's life, whether it be movies or music or whatever bad thing like smoking or cigarettes and, and alcohol, we got to help them to replace it with something good. That's Reformation is not enough just to take away that which is bad, right? It's not to tell people, oh, you got to start keeping the Sabbath holy, but they just sit there in, in their rooms all day and do nothing. No, we got we to gotta do something with them. We got to be busy with them on Sabbath, to keep them busy, to enjoy the Sabbath, to have that extra special fellowship on the Sabbath, you see. We got to fill it with something good. So Josiah, He removed the idolatry, but he didn't stop there. He set up the house of the Lord again. 
And you know, friends, we are also equated to God's temple, God's building as well. Look at what it says here in 1 Corinthians 3.9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Here also in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. What does God want to dwell in us? It is His Spirit. It's important, friends, when we remove something bad out of our lives, we need to fill it with that which is good. We need to fill it with God's Word, God's faith, His love, especially His Spirit. Otherwise, the bad will come back. And you know what, friends? It will be much, much worse. In the process of rebuilding the temple, something else happened as well. What was it? Let's go back to 2 Chronicles 34, and we're reading verse 14 to 18. And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, All that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And they gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and had delivered it into the hand of the overseers and to the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. You know what happened? They found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. So not only was true worship re-established, but the law of God was re-established as well and exalted. You know, friends, when it comes to understanding the word, the law is central to our experience. Even today, God wants to write the law in our hearts and in our minds. He wants to, us to have a real and living experience. The spirit of the law, not just the letter, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. How important, friends, is the law of God in our days today? Well, let's have a look at the word of pen of inspiration from the great controversy, 478, paragraph 3. Ellen White writes, it is only as the law of God is restored to its rightful position that there can be a revival of primitive faith and godliness among his professed people. Do you see that, friends? It is only as God's law is restored back to its rightful position. Where? In our hearts, in our minds. Only then can there be true revival, the revival that we read about in the Bible itself, not just in the New Testament, but even in the Old. Let's have a look at another quote. Lift him up, 165, paragraph 2. Wherever Ezra labored, there sprang up a revival in the study of the Holy Scriptures. Teachers were appointed to instruct the people. The law of the Lord was exalted and made honorable. 
The books of the prophets were searched and passages foretelling the coming of the Messiah brought hope and comfort to many a sad and weary heart. It's not just the law of God, but it's the Word of God in general. As the Word of God is made a study again, as it's exalted into the hearts and lives and minds of people, there will be a revival. This is instrumental in bringing revival into the church. There has to be a concerted effort to bringing people back to the law of God and being faithful to that and also spending time in the Word of God. And you know, as the law of God is brought out, as it has been found in the temple there and, and Shaphan the scribe begins to read it, how does Josiah react? Let's continue reading in 2 Chronicles 34, 19 to 21. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Abdon the son of Micah and Shaphan the scribe and Asiah a servant of the king saying, what? Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that was written in this book. You see, friends, there was an honest evaluation. When Josiah heard what was being read there, he's like, we haven't done this. Our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do everything that's been written in this book. Josiah knew that they had transgressed the law of God for a long time. And he wanted to know how long before these judgments would be poured out, how long before God would, would pour out these punishments because they had been disobedient, because they had walked away from him. You know, friends, it's really important to have an honest evaluation of ourselves as well. Why are we struggling as a people? Why is God not blessing us? Why are our churches not growing but yet seem to be dying even faster? And the answer according to what we're studying today is very simple. We have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. We've forsaken the prophets and we've killed them. We've neglected them. We've despised all their counsel. Yes, friends, God has sent us a prophet in these last days. He has. And he wants us to come back to the reading of the word, to exalt the law of God again, to be obedient, yes, to all the commandments, especially the Sabbath. And friends, if we are, we will see a great revival take place. For surely God's wrath will fall upon those that despise his law. You know, we read about King Josiah elsewhere in other books of the Bible. Look at what Zephaniah says about him. The word of the Lord came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. What's important about this text here? Josiah was alive in the days of Zephaniah, who is the one that wrote this book. He was a prophet. He had a modern-day prophet in his midst. But let's keep reading. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 2, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Very clearly, in the 13th year of his reign, this is that Josiah that we are studying about today. Whilst Josiah was putting earnest efforts in to revive the kingdom of Judah and the whole nation and even Israel, God was working with him to send him prophets 
Zephaniah and Jeremiah. They were alive during this time. And friends, we also have a prophet amongst us as well, Ellen White. God has given us all the ingredients that are needed for true revival and reformation and to finish the work here on this earth. He's given us his law and his prophets. We are at no disadvantage today than they were back then. In fact, we are living in a time of increased light. But what does Josiah do? Let's keep reading. After he hears the words of the law, 2 Chronicles 34, 31. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. What does Josiah do? He recommits himself back to God. He recommits to keep the Ten Commandments, to keep the testimonies of the prophets and all of God's statutes and teachings. And friends, we need to make that recommitment today on a daily basis. We need to have this firm decision as well. Otherwise, many of us, we fail of making the right decision and doing that which is right in our lives on a daily basis. This is something that is not just done once at the beginning of our Christian journey, but every day when we wake up, we've got to ask God to help us to be faithful, to recommit our lives to Him. And what else does He do? Let's keep reading. Second Chronicles 35 and verse 1, Moreover, Josiah kept a Passover unto the Lord in Jerusalem, and they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. What did they do? They kept the Passover. Verse 18, there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept, and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It had not been celebrated. The Passover had not been celebrated like this since the days of Samuel the prophets before there was any king. So not even King David or King Solomon celebrated the Passover to the extent like what King Josiah did. Do you see that? He restored true worship. He came back to the worship of God. He came back to recognizing God, how he had led them out of Egypt from bondage of sin. They're making this recommitment to come out of sin and to serve God fully as well. True worship was restored in the spirit and in truth. But you know, friends, even though we see all these amazing things from Josiah, the Bible is not silent even about the mistakes that Josiah made as well. He was not perfect unto the end. We all make mistakes. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the only thing is, these amazing men and women in the Bible, they had their whole story mapped out for better or even for worse. But what was the cause of Josiah's downfall? 2 Chronicles 35 and verse 20 to 22. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Nico, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have forewar. For God commanded me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, thee, 
with me that he destroy thee not. But then it says, nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him. And he hearkened not unto the words of Nico from the mouth of God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. You see, this king, king of Egypt, he came out upon the Lord's direction to fight, not against Josiah, but against someone else. But Josiah decides to come in and meddle. He decides to come in and go against the expressed command of God. And so what happens? Josiah, he's opposing God. And in one instant, he moves from being a great king to being a meddler, a presumptuous meddler. He got caught up with business that had nothing to do with him. Josiah had no command from God to go and fight in this battle. And you know, friends, as as people that are not in full-time ministry, maybe you're a businessman or a businesswoman, you're a professional or you're a student, God is asking you one thing to do or to stay away from. And we got to be careful that even in this area of secular employment, for Josiah, it had nothing to do with worship. It was fighting a battle. We got to make sure that even in this secular affairs, that God is guiding there even. Yes, in our work, in our studies, in the purchase of a house, in our our investment decisions, and especially, of course, who we date. We've got to make sure that God is in the middle of all of this. Josiah went to fight a battle that God never asked him to fight. And even when he went into the midst of it, the king of Egypt said, God told me to do this. Make sure you don't interfere. But he goes ahead. And what's the result? 23 to 25. And the archers shot at King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in a second chariot that he had. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died, and was buried in one of the sepulchres of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And all the singing men and singing women spake of Josiah in their lamentations to this day and made an ordinance in Israel. And behold, they are written in the lamentations. Josiah, he perished at too young an age. It wasn't God's will for him to do that. He should have reigned longer, but he perished because of his meddling. We can see that he was a well-beloved king. He was a faithful king. He was a good king but yet he stepped outside the boundaries of what God wanted him to do. I'm not saying that he sinned, but he disregarded very clear command from God. And so we got to be so careful not to be presumptuous. You know, there were three distinct stages of Josiah's life. There was revival, there was reformation, but there was also presumption. And friends, we need to be vigilant and watchful at every moment It doesn't matter how long we've walked with God. It doesn't matter the the years that we spent with Him. Every day we need to be careful. Why? Because all we need is one day to make a mess of our whole lives. We need to walk with Jesus every day and every hour. That's sanctification. It's not about the years or the months or the weeks. I've said this many times, friends. God, He doesn't care about the past. And that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. He doesn't care about the past. And that's a good thing because He doesn't care how deep your sin. He will still cleanse it and wash you and make you clean. 
Amen. But he doesn't care about the past in a seemingly negative way because he doesn't care how faithful you've been in the past 10 years. Are you still faithful and walking with him today? He doesn't care that you served as one of these prominent positions in church for so long and you've, you've given Bible studies and people got baptized because of you. Are you still faithful today? That is important to Christ. And friends, in a very instant of our life, in a moment, in one day, we can make decisions that can affect us for the rest of our lives. In the case of Josiah, it cost him his life. For us, as we look at even the life of Jacob who who deceived his father from stealing the birthright from his brother Esau, he spent many, many decades to, to pay for that sin that he committed in lying to his father and stealing that birthright that was not his. We got to be careful, friends, for one decision, one moment, one day can change the whole course of our life. Every day, we need Christ. Every moment, we got to walk with him. Every moment, he must be by our side, guiding each and every one of us. And especially here on the Sabbath, may God be guiding your footsteps every moment. May he be with you every moment. May he be leading you day by day. Let's recommit our lives to God again today and ask him that he would lead us. And every day, We've got to ask God to do that, for we know not the trials that will come upon us in that day. And so, friends, let us make sure that Jesus is our constant companion, even for today. There's no better feeling to know that God is the one that's guiding you, that where you are right now is where God wants you to be. And you might be going through a very troubling situation. It's then absolutely we must make sure that God is with us, guiding our footsteps, helping us make decisions on what to do. May God lead us to that end. Let us have a word of prayer as we close here. Father in heaven, Lord, I know that you desire so much to bring revival into each of our lives. You desire so much to be our God, to be our guide, to be the Lord of our lives. Help us, O Lord, today that we would recommit our lives to you But help us to see that this recommitment must be made on a daily basis. It's not a one-off decision that we make for the rest of our lives, but every day, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to surrender. Help us to allow you to come in and work in each of our lives. And so, Father, please teach us. Teach us what it means to really experience sanctification. It is the work of a lifetime, truly. But help us to build up to that day by day never ceasing, never stopping, but to make sure that you are with us every moment of every hour of every day. Lord, guide us to that end and bring us back to you, Lord, if we've fallen. Help us to be revived and protect us from any presumptuous decisions that we might be making that is not according to your will. Lord, if we are doing any of that today, help us to see clearly that we might turn from these decisions before it's too late. Thank you, O Lord. We just surrender our lives to you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.